We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Brian, you know the old saying, man. The show must go on, even whether there is bad action and bad internet. We continue here because we have a lot of great questions. So let's get into some of these questions here. And again, mailbag questions into the chat, and we will roll through a bunch of these. So first question of the day goes to Garrett Knudsen. Says, of the, of the young offensive tackles we have on our roster, on the Notre Dame roster, who projects best at moving inside if needed? So if we're talking about the young guys on the roster, Garen, including the 2023 kids that just came to campus, we're going to talk about – oh, you think it's easy? Oh, I, oh, it is easy, actually. But you could say it to start us off. Go ahead. Gagasol. Yes. I think it's, yes. I think it's right. Gagasol, the kid they just signed, because he can kill people. He's a horse. Yes, he That's who I would pick. Yeah. And, oh, and I just saw that you had commented in the chat and said something about Jagasaw, which, yes, because I, I agree with you 100%. I have been on the wavelength, Brian. I don't know if you agree with this, but if Charles Jagasaw comes in and he is an absolute dude early, right, where you're just like, man, this guy's just different than what we have in this roster. By midseason, I wouldn't be shocked if he is a guy that you look at and say, like, you're a starting guard for us this year, and then you'll play tackle next year. But one of the guys leaves. Like, he's that type of dude. Because to your point, I saw him. I know he's listed at 6'6", 300 pounds on the roster. But I saw him down at San Antonio for the All-American Bowl. And he told me he was up to 320 pounds at that point. And he looked good, man. I was like, really? you know who he reminds know. me of? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he said he was up to 325 pounds. He reminds me, body type-wise, of Trey Smith. I could see him being... 6'6", 330, and just, like, looking massive but not looking fat. You know what I mean? Just, like, a big, hulking dude. Like, I could see him being that type of player. Although I think that he is a more natural tackle than what Trey was when he went to the University of Tennessee. But I think body type, they remind me a little bit of one another. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you can get him on the, on the starting lineup, I really don't care where it's at. The athleticism yes. and all that. What wasn't he a wrestler at one point? Or I can't remember not, what he's, not just, he's a good athlete. Not just a wrestler, Brian, was an undefeated heavyweight state champion for two straight years in the state of Illinois. And I know he wasn't at the highest classification in the world in Illinois, so people like to bring that up. I don't care either. <laughs> I don't care either, man. He's just a really talented kid. And I felt so bad for him. I we've shared this story before. But Charles was not going to only enroll Lee because he was going to defend his state championship in wrestling. He wanted to spend the winter and do all that type of stuff. But then obviously he had the knee injury where he had to clean it up this offseason. So he had them. Not only was he not able to enroll early, he missed the cutoff date from doing that by two days because he was rethinking enrolling early because he wasn't able to wrestle. So he had to just kind of sit around and rehab for several months. Oh. And- Right, yeah, dude, it was literally. I talked about it in San Antonio, and he was like, I wanted to wrestle, so I wasn't early roll, and then I had to get the surgery. So I was like, Okay, I might as well just go to Notre Dame now and just enroll early and do all that type of stuff. He missed the cutoff by two days to enroll early. I felt so bad for him, man. So bad, but do you think it would have been the same case at Alabama? <laughs> no, no, they were like, Oh. He said that in six days ago, you just missed you just missed the facts, right? Like, yeah, hundred percent. Nick would have called and said he gets straight A's. Shut up, and that would have been in the conversation. <laughs> exactly. He has a four GPA. What are you worried about, man? Like, yeah, exactly. But I think he's a great pick. I don't, right? Is there even another one that makes much sense? Like, I, or, well, I'll say this one. The other one that I think makes sense. Notre Dame, I think, has intentions to play Sullivan Absher at offensive tackle to begin his career out of the state of North Carolina. Big six foot seven, well, six, six and a half, six foot seven, 315 pound offensive lineman, big, big, big hit. I think that he is a guard long term in Notre Dame's offense because I think that that kid just wants to play in tight spaces and beat people up. Like, that's kind of what I see with. With Sullivan, so I I could see Sully being the other guy that moves inside. Outside of that, like I'm not moving Emil Wagner inside. Like he's six foot six and a half and two hundred and seventy eight pounds right now, right? Like that's not a guard at the next level. So I think Sullivan Absher is the other guy, but you know, outside of that, I I don't think that him 
besides him and Jagasaw, I don't think there's many guys that I would even want to move inside potentially. Like those are the two guys for me. Yeah, I don't think it's any doubt. Jagasaw could play. I don't know if he could play center, but I bet he could play any of the other spots. That would be my yeah. feeling. He's just a good. I'm, I'm not saying he couldn't play center, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't use him there because he's a guy I want out on the edge. Once he kind of figures exactly. college out, I'd rather have him a tackle if he, you know, figures it out. Because physically, he's just built yeah. a little different. He's an NFL player. Oh, he's an NFL player. I agree 100. percent If he's developed properly, he is definitely has that upside. And uh, yeah, um, Nathan just asked. They thought he uh, Jagasaw broke his foot. No, Nathan, it was a, a PCL. I think was actually his injury. He had to get his knee cleaned up, so there was just a little PCL injury, if I remember correctly. So it was not a foot. Next question is going to be from Michael. Michael and Garen, thank you so much for that question. That was a really good one. Michael, anything new regarding 2024 wide receiver recruiting? Any new names, or is it currently a wait and see situation? Thanks. Michael, it's mostly a wait-and-see situation. We talked about this on the message board a little bit, and he had put it on Twitter, so it's not like a huge secret. But Bredell Richardson is trying to get down to campus the end of this month or the beginning of August. Like, that's a name, I guess, to look at a little bit. We'll see what happens with that situation. Obviously, he's down in the state of Florida, a very talented wide receiver. But we'll, we'll see what obviously happens with that. But I think that it's mostly wait-and-see mode. There's not really if, – if we were going to put out legitimate names – you need to go to boards.irishbreakdown.com because obviously there's still some work that's being happened down behind the scenes. But I will say the staff is doing their due diligence on that part. So there are things happening behind the scenes. So just keep an eye out for names as we are able to drop them. We had another question. We had another question here from Gary Nutson who says, do you foresee Blake Fisher moving to guard at the next level. Where do you see he could have the best career at the NFL level? Brian, I think that he's an offensive guard at the next level. I do on the NFL level. Because I think that there's two things that hurt Blake. And hurt's a bad word for one of these things. One, I think his temperament and his demeanor and his play style is that of an interior offensive lineman. I think he is best moving forward. I just, that's what I think. Down blocking, but base blocking, like just working to the second level, that's where Blake's best spot is. I think that he's a fine pass protector. He's fine. But I think inside a guard, I think that you can really get the most out of his out of his game. And I also don't think he has the greatest length of all time. I know he's 6'6", but I don't think his arms are incredibly long. Like I just don't see great length when I look at his arm length. So I think he is going to be a guard on the next level. Could he last an offensive tackle? I think it's possible. But I think more than likely he's probably a guard in the NFL level. So that's just kind of my perspective. I don't know if you see him differently. I think he can play either. It depends on the scheme and it depends on who they have a tackle. Yep. I mean, I've always said I thought he was best at guard, but he's such an athlete. He kind of figures it out. He's a gamer. Um, his length is not ideal, but if he puts his hands on you, it is bad news for you. He has very heavy hands and he's a guy that finds a way to get in front of you if it's a screen, if it's a straight downhill run, if it's pass pro, whatever, he just has great feet. Great feet usually win the battle most times. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And one cool thing, I don't know if you saw the picture of, it was Audric Estime, it was Joe Walt, it was Blake Fisher, it was Benjamin Morrison and Sam Hartman with Coach Freeman at the Mets game. Blake Fisher has reshaped his body this offseason, Brian. He looks good, man. He's got He's cut a yes, lot of the baby weight. He looks really good, man. So maybe the the flexibility improves a little bit. Maybe the foot quickness is just a little tad bit better. 
And I think that he can potentially – well, he's definitely going to play offensive tackle in the college level. There's no doubt. But we'll see opposite the projection because he looks like a completely different athlete this year. Like he's really reshaped his body, which was great to see. We had a couple super chats. Thank you so much. This one is from Nathan with the super chat who just says, let's go IB, great intel piece. Yes, Nathan. Unfortunately, Brian is not on the show with us today. Brian Driscoll, that is. But he put out a great intel piece, obviously, on Sunday over the weekend, which is another reason to sign up at boards.irishbreakdown.com. We also had another super chat. This one is from, as it pulls up, from Truman Theodore Dumel, who says, is there a recruit who can put Notre Dame over the top if we land him a generational talent? I, are we talk, I guess we're talking about 2025 class. Uh, Brian, I think this is a fascinating question as far as like putting Notre Dame over the top because I think because it, it depends on what team you're talking about, right? Because there are positions that will put different teams over the top. For Notre Dame, it's been quarterback has been a spot that maybe needs to be a little better, maybe a wide receiver at times that needs to be a little bit better. Cornerback is a spot that Notre Dame has improved tremendously. But like – David Sanders isn't going to put Notre Dame over the top, in my opinion, because Notre Dame is very good at offensive line. Like, it's not like they've struggled at offensive line. You know what I mean? So 2025, if Deuce Knight is properly developed, could he put Notre Dame over the top? Sure. I think so. Yeah. I mean, uh, could Bryce Underwood put the team over the top? It's possible. I think it would be quarterback, though. I don't know if you agree with that. Um, Have you seen Elijah Griffin's film? Yes, yes, a de- talented defensive lineman. Yes, I have seen his. <laughs> he, um, Look, he's my dead grandmother could coach him. My my dead grandmother could coach him. Okay, it, it, there's certain players. It's just this is not fair. And he, you can tell he's got hand placement. He has technique. Like as a sophomore, he was one of the four or five best defensive linemen I saw in the country. Yeah, and he could play anywhere on the D line, and he's two seventy, two eighty. He is a top five pick. He's the guy who could change better names, probably. He is ridiculous, man. Yeah. I saw Brian the first time I saw him. I hadn't even seen game film on him. Tom Lemming did an interview with him where he was wearing like a Letterman jacket, and I'm like, "That's a sophomore in high school. Like, what are we talking about right here, man?" Like, and then I saw him film, and I'm just like, "That kid could play any spot he wants to on the defensive line, and he would dominate at it. Doesn't like, matter. he doesn't. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Like, literally." Even though he's only 275, 280 pounds, you can line but nose today at Notre Dame and be like, yep, go for it, Elijah. Like, you're real good. You can line him up at Viper. You can line him up at Big End. You can line him up at 3-Tech. It doesn't matter. That kid is – yes. Him at, I, I think the two best players that I have personally seen in the 2025 class today are David Sanders and Elijah Griffin. I think those are the two best for me. I actually am uh, going to head up that way. I'm probably going to go see Elijah – um, I might ask him if there's a way I can get those two to do a workout together just so I could film it. That would right. be, like for real. I mean, you might as well compete against the best. Let's, let's get it, bro. Let's get it. I, I would cherish that video forever. That's yeah, man. He, that would be a battle because it's so, because both of them are just like, David Sanders is interesting because he's like 6'7", 255 pounds right now, right? So he's a little bit uh, skinny, but he's so strong, though, for being as he's, skinny as he is. Like he's pumping it into with his one hand, and he's moving dudes. He, he's unbelievably talented. 
it's crazy, man. If his body is able to hold the weight properly and he can maintain such strength and it improves, it's like that kid is going to be ridiculous. Elijah Griffin, I'm I'm just mostly curious to see not only where Elijah let because Elijah's been offered by Notre Dame, but obviously I don't foresee that happening. I I just don't foresee it where it is at today. But I'm interested, Brian, to your point of one, depending on what school he he ends up with that kid could play so many different spots. Like he really could. I mean, he, he reminds me of a, it's a better version, but similar to you remember when Robert Kandichi came out of grace in high yes. school, like same type of kid, man. It's like that kid could play a lot of different spots, right? Elijah Griffin's kind of the same thing. It's like, he could be a four, three defensive end. He could be a three tech. He could be a three, four, you know, five tech, like a four, four, I, he could do a lot of different things. So it's going to be very interesting to see, what he looks like in a couple years. Cause he could be, I mean, I can imagine I can see Elijah Griffin being six four, 315 pounds in three tech in a few years, or he could be a six foot four, 285 pound four, three defensive end and just be a terror. Like, I just think there's a few different ways that his body could go. I'm curious to see if he cares about playing in the three, four or not because Georgia yeah. and Alabama want him, but a lot of kids don't want to play in the three, four. I don't know what Elijah's thoughts are on that, but if he's not interested in that, then the board is open because he's like Georgia's number one guy. I know that's their guy. Maybe he doesn't want to play in a 3-4. His recruitment could get very interesting. It really could. It's going to be really interesting, man. Yeah, because I I guess – what do you think it is? Tackle for loss and sack production? Like he doesn't want a two-gap a ton up front? Like he wants to be a tackle style player, I guess? With his quickness, I'd want to play in a one-gap scheme. That's just me. Agreed. But he can play whatever. He can figure it out. I'm not saying he's not capable. I just think it'd be more fun for him. That's true. Very true. We had another question. Truman, great super chat. Thank you so much. Great conversation that worked off of that one. Garrett Nutson says, with regards to Owen Strebig's timeline, as of right now, it seems pretty protracted. Is he a player that Notre Dame will wait on indefinitely? So, Garrett, we talked about this a little bit. I, I think that for a lot of players, and I, I respect it, right? For a lot of recruits, they have this, this plan, right? This long-term timeline of I want to commit sometime around here. I want to take my, you know, X amount of official visits. I'd love to say five official visits, but you could take so many official visits now if you feel like it. I want to do my tours. I want to check out SEC. I want to check out Midwest. I want to go out west to a certain school, whatever it is. I want to check all the boxes, right? But a lot of times we've seen this where a player will just know, right? Like you just know. And they're just like, all right, like I wanted to do all that. But like also, I mean, we just saw this a few times last in the 2023 class. I remember Jaden Greathouse was one, Brian, where it's like Jaden was like, I want to go into the season. I want to take some game visits and I'll make my decision. And then like two days later, he's like, you know what? Like, what am I, what am I watching? Like, what do I need to see anymore? You know, like I've seen it all. And I, I think that Owen Shrebing, again, this is no intel on Owen as much. This is just more a feeling of like he obviously loves Notre Dame. He's been there. He's going to be there three times this offseason. I think that he could be a kid where if it clicks and he knows, the timeline changes. Like that's kind of where we are with that, right? So could it last a while? Yes. Could it be escalated quicker? I think it could. It's just about Notre Dame continuing to press that one. And, and not press as in – Let's go, man. Like, make a decision. But, but press is in, like, you're our guy. You're our guy. You're our priority. Will they wait on him? Depends what you mean by weights. Like, I think that 
I can't predict a year and a half out of, you know, is there always going to be a spot for Owen Streaming? Because you don't know what's going to happen with the board. You don't know how many spots are going to get taken up. I think that they love Owen Streaming. I think he's right at the top of their offensive line board. I think Notre Dame loves him. So there's going to be a spot for a long time. Will it be until National Signing Day of the senior year? I don't know, man. Like I, That's way too far out for me. I think that there is certainly a spot for him right now, and I think that Owen knows that. I think Notre Dame has made it very clear that he is a priority for that. We had another question. I think we had one for you directly, Brian. Yeah, we did. From PK, who says, Brian, what is your ideal physical attributes for guards and centers? This one is really unique. My answer has changed a lot. And part of it's like what Coach Rudolph's doing. It used to be it's the 6'3 guy, very quick, low base power. You didn't worry as much about the ability to pass block. But now, because of RPO, because of getting out of the screen game more, et cetera, you need more length and just sheer athleticism. A 6'5", 3'10 guy is just as likely as a guy that's 6'3", 302. Like in the 80s and 90s, 6'3 guy could play tackle a lot of the time. It's completely changed. I mean, what is it? What do you think Burn is, Ryan? 6'6", six, six at least, legitimately? And he could play guard in Notre Dame? He, so he's listed 6'6". Six, six. I think he's probably more 6'5", six, 6'5 five, six, five and a half. But, like, either way, I mean, he's still a pretty and tall dude. You, you know what's massive. weird, Brian? You know what's – yeah, he's a massive kid. You know what's weird, though, is Coach Rudolph compared him to a player. Ready for this one? They compared him to – they compared him to uh, – oh, man, his name's escaping me now. He's now the starting center for the Dallas Cowboys. He played center for Wisconsin. Oh, What's his name? Oh, really? Why, why is his name? That would yeah. not be the guy that I would think of as center because he reminds me of a power guard, and that's okay. Yes. yes. But if yes. he can snap with his power, then yes. Bird is going to make a lot of money because he is yes. another a one who's really money. Because, look, center is not fun. If you think about the difference between center and guard, it's just snapping. But just snapping is, is you know, even that extra millisecond, there is a very unhappy 300-pound man with bad breath trying to come at you. Every little bit matters. And you also have to be able to do line calls and all that stuff, too. It's a more complex position. But Byrne is a nasty player. And when he gets both hands on somebody, he's what I think of as a, as a guard. Gotch, the kid from Michigan, he's a, thing, a guy I think I was going. But they're athletic enough. They could play tackle. It just may not be their yes. ideal spot. They're just better athletes than what it used to be. Yes, and I, I just I just looked it up. Tyler Biotish was the kid that I was thinking. Oh, of there he yeah, yeah, yeah. He, was, he, was a a, he was a hell of a college player. Absolutely. Yes, really good. And apparently Coach Rudolph had compared them to one another as far as their position wow. flexibility and their mindsets, which was kind of – Kind of weird, man. I, I mean, yeah. I mean, I again, I don't know. I don't. I don't envision Rowan Byrne being a center. Like, I I see guard there, but just very interesting to kind of just kind of look at and kind of think about. I mean, that's it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. My my question because I know this one was directly for you, Brian, but mine has always has also very much changed over the years, man. Because like. Think about it from an NFL perspective because that's where my roots are, right? The NFL draft side of things. Like 10 to 15 years ago, 
Jason Kelsey would, would have, like that size profile, like get the heck out of here. He can't play on the NFL level. He's too small, right? Like he's too small. You can't play, you can't play center on the NFL level. But now he's changed things a lot, right? Like him, the Garrett Bradbury's of the world, the Tyler Linderbaums that came out of Iowa, obviously last year, like the smaller, more athletic centers, they now have a place in the NFL. And it's because of the inside outside zone hierarchy of the NFL. Like they just, they want guys that can get on the move and be incredibly athletic so those types of guys are now much more in you they're much in higher demand than they once were. And offensive guards, again, I think some of those br- brutes mauling guards are getting phased out a little bit. Like I think they're getting a little bit phased out. You want guards now that are traditionally former offensive tackles. And I'm talking more from like a college level, not as much, but like NFL. Guys move players inside all the time where they're like, you know, you're a you are a college offensive tackle, but like you are a good offensive tackle athleticism. But if you're a guard, you're tremendous. Like you're great inside. So it has certainly changed a lot over the year and it will continue to change because we know that this is a cyclical conversation. Things change constantly. We had a question. I think there was another one for you, Brian, down here, which was an interesting one I wanted to get to. Yeah, Jason Smith. Jason's a great member of the board, always comes with great questions. Said, Brian, who was your favorite offensive lineman Notre Dame signed in the 2023 class? Of course, that is Charles Jagasaw, Sullivan Absher, Christopher Tarek, Joe Otting, and I'm missing one. I'm missing one. Oh, Sam Pendleton, who was the early enrollee, obviously, in the class. Jagasaw is definitely number one, and Oteng is number two. I think Jagasaw speaks for itself. Like physically, um, I hate grading O-linemen in general, especially interior O-line. The film's usually terrible, et cetera. I remember seeing Jagasaw. Somebody said, you need to watch this kid. I'm thinking, okay, big kid in Illinois, whatever. And I'm like, whoa. Like the way he moved his feet and stuff, I'm like, this is not a typical Illinois kid. This is a SEC offensive tackle if he wants to be – or he can play whatever. He's just – he's really strong. He is far and away the best lineman in this class. I don't think it's even all that close. I like the kid from Kansas. I don't know if it's – is it Oting? How do, how do you pronounce it? Is that correct? Otting. Otting. He just, for his size, is insanely strong, and he's a super athlete. He's the kind of kid that when I first started watching Notre Dame football that they were famous for. Needs to add a little weight, but he has the right kind of mindset. He's very physical. Like he has zero concern. You know, he wants to make sure your grandmother knows you're in pain. Um, and he has the athleticism to get out on screens, uh, student body left, etc. So he could be a center or a guard. I don't think he's a tackle, but he's such a good athlete that it doesn't really matter. He's a kid eventually that I think will be a starter at Notre Dame. I, I just don't know exactly where, but he'll find a spot. Yeah, no, I, I like Joe. Joe Otting was my big sleeper in the class, Brian, because I I understood why some platforms only had him as a three star. I think he ended up as a four star by one or two, though. And I'm just like, that kid is just such a nice athlete because he's pro- being projected to play center most likely to be a long that center. For five, he was a little bit taller than people even anticipated him being, which is going to be. Kind of interesting, I think, just kind of projecting forward. Again, I think he's a center guard at the Notre Dame level, but I liked him a lot too, so I agree with you. But I, Charles Jagasaw, just real quick, Brian, I'll say this. Junior film, 
I was incredibly intrigued by, and I liked the ton because he's just stupid athletic and strong. And you're like, okay, yeah, sure. But then you watch a senior film, you're like, okay, the game started slowing well, the down. The senior film was when I knew that he could play tackle. Like guard yes. was a lock. The senior film, I started thinking, well, he might even be able to play left tackle. It's not out of the question. There's still development there, but he's such a good athlete. At least at the college level, I think I don't know about NFL. That's a that's a long term down the road. But in college, he can play just about anything. He is a seriously seriously talented young man. Yeah, and I think Charles Jagasol has a great claim in that class in general. You know, um, I, I think, and apparently, I'm having a little bit of uh, some tech, technical issues again. I'll, I'll reshuffle in a second, folks. My apologies. I don't know. I don't know what happened there, but. Brian, I would love to ask you this because I think that Charles Jagasol has a great argument against some of the top offensive linemen in the 2023 class in general. The Samson Okalolas of the world, the the um, what was the kid's name that came out of IMG? The the kid that's Francis Francis, yeah, Francis Mayagoa, and there was some really good offensive linemen in that class, though. One, how do you think Charles stacked up in that group? And was there a guy that you said that's the best guy in the class for me? I know Francis really well because I live close to IMG and I know him. That kid was different, not just like physically. He was one of the guys that literally scared me when I met him. When I met him. Like he's that big and that strong. When I shook his hand and I reached down, I didn't see my own hand. So that's, that's usually a good sign for an offensive lineman. <laughs> and he took to the coaching at IMG Academy in the Under Armour Combine. Uh, he already has a starting position at Miami. Like, he's mentally prepared. It's Yeah, like, and he's playing tackle. I mean, I know Miami's O-line needed an overhaul, but, dude, like, really? I mean, so I'll go with him because he's earned it. <laughs> but uh, that's cheating a little bit because he's already in the starting lineup. Uh, that said, I thought Oakland Wola, if I had to pick a left tackle, was the most natural out of the group. But upside and intrigue was Jackasaw because he's not playing against the same kind of level of competition at, at IMG. Like every day, Francis went against guys in practice that were getting recruited by Georgia and Alabama. <laughs> so right. he had the easiest road to get better. Yeah, that's a different deal. Thank you. And that's. That's really interesting, too, because I know Miami is a mess right now from a roster perspective, but Francis is going to be working with two of the better offensive line guys in the business. I mean, for everything that wasn't great year one under, you know, the new coach regime, head coach is a really good offensive line coach, and they also have Alex Mirabel, who was great over there at the University of Oregon under him as well. So he's going to be coached by some good offensive line developers. There's no doubt about that. So I think Francis is going to do really well, and – Samson's down there as well, Oaken Lola out of out of the uh, you know Northeast, so he's going to be a good football player as well. Really, it was a really good offensive tackle class because you know I I, didn't, I forgot to mention Monroe Freeling, Brian, who was really oh, good out of cool. South Carolina. That's down at Georgia, and he's a good player. He's a really good player. So it was a good offensive tackle group that year. All right, let's get to another one. This one's from Michael. Michael says, any positive vibes that Notre Dame could possibly expect some verbal commitments barbecue weekend? Thanks. Michael, I'll say this because I know people keep asking this. I had made a comment, and I just want to kind of like – I want to just 
get it. I just want people to be a, a fully understanding of what my comment is. People ask me what type of impact could the barbecue have on the 2025 class? And I looked at the, the visitor list, Brian, and I said that I think seven to eight of the kids on the visitor list could end up with Notre Dame eventually. Like I think that that's not saying that seven to eight are going to commit while they're on campus on the 30th folks. That's not what I'm saying. Cause someone said that. I'm just like, Nope, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah. Could there be one to two commitments during the visit? It's very possible. I think it's possible, but I think ultimately the group that you're seeing, that's going to take the visit on the 30th. That's a big pool of kids that Notre Dame wants very badly. And for most cases, they're kids that are going to be visiting two, three times to the University of Notre Dame. I mean, Brian, you've talked to one. Justin Thurman's going to be on class. Daniel Anderson's going to be on campus. The the talented offensive lineman out of the state of Arkansas. They're going to have the offensive lineman that we talked about on campus. You're going to have Taylor Taylor on campus. You're going to have a really talented safety crew of Ethan Long and Jadon Blair. And there's a lot of dudes that are going to be down at Notre Dame on the 30th that Notre Dame likes a lot. So I think that seven to eight of that group could eventually be in the class. As for how many would commit during this visit, one to two, possibly. It's it's possible. I think it really is. But that doesn't mean that they'll directly go like a verbal commitment. Uh, well, a silent commitment and a public commitment are two very different things, right? Some kids want to go silent, but also, you know, want to just finish the visits and then they'll make the announcement afterwards. Timelines work differently. But I think that it could have a tremendous impact on this class. And that doesn't even count the fact that Deuce Knights come in three days before the, the cookout and spending a couple of days at Notre, Notre Dame on the 27th. So the end of July could be huge for the recruiting in 2025. There's no doubt about that. All right. We had a question. Brian, I would love your outside perspective on this because you're obviously down there in the Southeast. And I know, are you in Texas right now or are you still in Florida right now? I know you kind of move around a little bit. You're in Florida now. Okay. So I would love your perspective because you're in SEC country. Obviously, you know a lot about Notre Dame football and have followed it for a long time. Michael wants to know, can you characterize how big a win against Ohio State would be to the Notre Dame program in all facets? Let's go from the recruiting perspective first. How big would that be for Notre Dame to be able to beat a team like Ohio State's this season? Well, I just know from living down here, that Notre Dame is not even remotely considered on the same level as Ohio State. It's not. It's not in close. And uh, Notre Dame fans can get mad about that or whatever, but Ohio State is churning out NFL guys, and that's what these kids are looking at more than anything else. I mean, they win more too, but it's the first and second round draft picks. It's just not even close. And especially at some of the positions that are more fun, quarterback and receiver, they're a more exciting program. So, it would elevate the program in a recruiting sense that it hasn't been on really in the last 20 years, potentially, yeah. because beating them is just looked at differently. Now, there is one caveat. If the quarterback for Ohio State, and I don't even know how that's going to play out, is bad or nowhere near, they won't hold as much. I mean, if they would have beaten the team last year on the road with a Heisman contender, that's a whole nother level. But obviously yes. that didn't happen. But um, it's still Ohio State, and the receiver group they have is insane. So it would showcase Notre Dame's DBs. It would showcase their ability to score enough points because they're not winning with 21. Like Ohio State scored 21 last year. That was a weird game. 
That's not happening again. Notre Dame is going to need to score 35 or more. That's how you have, if they don't need to, then something probably went wrong on Ohio State's level. So program momentum, it would help them. ESPN is not the biggest fan of Notre Dame. I think everybody knows that all these networks would have to play it because they beat the Buckeyes. The amount of attention and how much it would hype them in the rankings and everything else would be almost infinite. You can't put a, put a number on it. It, it would be huge. Yeah, I think the other thing, because I think you made a great point there, is that like last year when Notre Dame beat Clemson and destroyed Clemson, I think it's a great it was a great game, obviously, for Notre Dame. But Brian, I think that while it was big for Notre Dame to beat a team like that, a team that had been so good for so long in Clemson and really had a, a great, you know, obviously a, a great run and a couple national championships along the way, you beat the you beat Clemson last year the way that you would expect Notre Dame to beat a team, right? To be physical, yeah. downhill, run the football. If you're able to beat Ohio State, and let's say, let's say Benjamin Morrison has a great game against Marvin Harris Jr. and he only has like five catches for like fifty something yards. Let's say doesn't score. You're able to keep a Mecca Buka in, in in check a little bit. You're able to win on the outside at your wide receivers. Those are the spots that Notre Dame hasn't had enough big-time players consistently over the last X amount of years. If you're able to beat them, if you're able to beat Ohio State at their game, I think that that's the biggest thing, right? Because there's a reality where Notre Dame's able to just beat up Ohio State on the line of scrimmage, right? Like there's it, Joe Walt, you know, just is a better player that day than JT and, and, and Jack Sawyer and those cats, and you win a, a, a slugfest that way. But then there's another reality where, wow, Sam Hartman threw for 350 yards and Tobias Merriweather had a couple touchdown catches and Benjamin Morrison had an interception and held Marvin Harrison to five five receptions on the game and he didn't go off against them. Like, if they're able to do something like that, I think that that is monumental. I think Notre Dame can take that momentum yep. and be like, oh, we have wide receivers and course now that can actually play at this type of level. Like, that's my biggest thing is that, like, if you could beat Ohio State at their game, that's even more monumental than just beating Ohio State in general because people will remember that. I agree. They need to be able to show they can be a fun, entertaining offense. And, I mean, that's why you went and signed Sam Hartman anyway. So if it's not rolling in that direction by the time they play the Buckeyes, we'll probably know anyway. Something's went wrong here. So yes. I'm not too concerned. about What is it? Hartman's got 110 career touchdown passes. I think they'll be good yep. in that regard. That's that's a lot. <laughs> so I'm good there. Most in ACC history. So, yes, that is a lot of touchdown passes. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. So, yeah, man, but if they're able to – outdo Ohio State in Ohio State fashion. That could be a really interesting layer to talk about. Let's hope we're having that conversation. I would love to have the conversation. To your point, Brian, I think that recruiting-wise, in order for Notre Dame to be a recruiting, one of the powers of recruiting, you need to claim the Midwest first, right? Like if I asked you right now, who is the recruiting power in the Midwest? You would say Ohio State. That's it. Right. Like you would say Ohio State. And then after that, it's like, you know, Notre Dame, Penn State, Michigan. Like they're good recruiters, too. But Ohio State is that team right now. And it's the same thing on the field as it is in the recruiting battles. You need to beat Ohio State before you worry about beating Alabama, Georgia and those cats. Like you got to you got to win your territory first before you start worrying about the SEC powers like you have to claim the Midwest. 
show that you can show up in the big games, and then we'll start having that conversation. But Notre Dame isn't there yet. It's trending in a positive direction, but obviously it needs to continue to build. There's no doubt. We had a question from Stevie Wonder. Stevie, I'm going to pull it up just because it's a mailbag question, but I don't have a direct answer for you. Just said, any update on Joey Tonona? Is he on pace to graduate, still recovering? At the time of the accident, it sounded like there were some cognitive cognitive issues. Stevie, I'm going to pass this along to Brian and see if he can just get a little bit of intel because obviously we have put out, you know, uh, we great hope for Joey. Obviously, was in the car accident last offseason. Hope he's doing really well. I don't have a direct update for you, but I'll make sure that you get one. So throw this chat in again. Maybe next time I'm on with Brian, I'm sure I'll talk to him at that point about, you know, if we can get some type of update on him. So because he's obviously always a part of the Notre Dame family, Joey Tonona. So we hope that he's doing very well. I hope he's taking advantage of the Notre Dame degree and his opportunities for sure. We had another question from Garrett Nutson who said, is Owen Street big timeline realistic and how do you expect it to say the same? Hit on this a little bit, Garen, so I'm not going to go super in depth with it. Just I think that all I think timelines can always change. Right now, Owen is obviously going to let it play out and he has kind of a, a d- big understanding of, you know, going into the season and taking his his visits to games and then going into next offseason with kind of clarity and really kind of narrowing things down. But I think that stuff can always change, especially when you go to a campus three times in one offseason. So we shall see. This is a very interesting one, Brian. A very interesting one. I really want to hear your perspective on this because I, I think I have an answer for it. But Garrett Nutson also said, considering how deep the offensive line class in 2025 is, where would Gerby Lambert fit in the stacked class? That's an interesting one, man. Of course, Gerby Lambert, Catholic Memorial, out of West Roxbury, Massachusetts, top offensive tackle target for Notre Dame in the 2024 class. I guess we have the basis just off a of sophomore film, right? All we've seen of the 2025 kids is sophomore film. So if we're talking about just sophomore film for Gerby compared to these kids' sophomore film, I'd take I mean, Sanders over anybody. I think you would too. But yes, yes. Petty's in that ballpark, but him, Petty and Lambert are pretty similar. I mean, he would be like right under, like Sanders is a very special player. He has a chance to be the first pick of the draft, kind of left tackle. Like he's, if he doesn't go in the top 10, either he got in trouble, he got hurt or both. That's kind of how good he, it's up to him. And he's a very intelligent kid. He's going to a good school. He's got good people around him. He's outgoing. He's what the NFL wants on a poster. <laughs> so um, I'll take I'll take him number one out of that group. After that, there's like five, six guys that Lambert could be involved with, but I, I don't know which one I would pick. That's that's really hard. Just based on sophomore film, I feel like I would definitely take Sanders, there's no doubt. I would also take Petty. It's a little bit of a different conversation because I would say this. I think that. Gerby Lambert is a little more physically developed as a sophomore than what Petty is. Cause Petty's only like 265 pounds right now. He's a smaller cat, but I just really like Petty's athleticism and profile. I oh, think he's going to be an absolute stud. He yeah. reminds me of Ryan Harris. Think, to that's a good one. That's a really good comparison. I like that. I might steal that one, Brian, just so you know, I might steal well, it. I mean, they're, they're almost identical at the same stage. Literally. Almost yeah. identical. I, Long, longer than you would expect, but like a little bit of a wiry frame. Like I I could definitely see that. That's very interesting. Here's the one that has me struggling a little bit. 
I think I would take Owen Strebig as a sophomore over Gerby Lamberts. I, I do, but it's it's a conversation. It's definitely a conversation. It's not like a runaway, you know, oh, Strebig way over Gerby. But I think I would take him over him. But then I think that I think that Gerby would fit right in like number four for me after a sophomore year because I still think he's better as a sophomore than like Will Black was, who's on Notre Dame board. Because I haven't watched every offensive tackle in the class. I've only watched the kids mostly that Notre Dame has – there are a couple obviously others. in this class. Yeah. The 25. Oh, I know there's a lot. In down south. Oh, man. Is, yeah. Is, yeah, there's some national man. Some people missed the comp. It was Josh Petty, offensive tackle out of Roswell, Georgia, Fellowship Christian, to Ryan Harris was Brian Smith's comp. So very interesting comp there. Uh, Brian, I saw a – IMG is going to be a crazy team again, as they always are. I saw uh, Jamar oh, Malone's the quarterback down there now out of Arizona. Like I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> it's, it's a pretty good team. IMG conservatively has 30 Power 5 kids on their roster. That's great. I went, I went down there in, I think, 2019. I went down there for like their media day or whatever it was, just to kind of like look around because I'd never been to IMG. And that was the year that, like, it was Evan Neal and Nolan Smith and that crew, like Noah Kane and Trey Sanders and all that. And I was just, like, walking around. I'm like, it's just stupid. Like, it was just dumb. I was just like, all these kids are power five kids. I'm like, Josh Delgado's over there who, like, went to Oregon and the running backs and the offensive line. I worked, at, I worked at IMG at that time. And the first time that I walked through the hallways and I saw some of the kids – I'm like, these are in high school? You know, especially the big fellow that went on to Alabama and now with the Giants. Evan he was like, two, yeah. Evan was 360, 370 when he was a sophomore in high school. It's insane, Literally. man. I saw him in person and I was like, that is the big human I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. Like, and I, I, I have seen Makai. I've seen Mekhi Becton in person too. And I'm just like, that kid is as big as Mekhi Becton as a junior in high school, about to be a senior in high school. Like it was just nuts. And he was just one of those kids where it was like, Evan, you have a great body, go to Alabama, trim down a little bit, maintain and go to the NFL and be a top 10 pick. Like that was all it was for Evan Neal. You know what I mean? It was, and he got, of course, Nolan Smith was there who just went in the first round and Trey mm-hmm. Sanders who just transferred, obviously, this Nolan. whole season out of, from Alabama. Like, it was a nutty Nolan team. Smith's one the, of them. The one, Nolan's yeah. a great kid. He was. He is. He is a great kid. I, I remember interviewing him, and at that age, I was like, this is a senior in high school? Like, he just – he sounded like he was ready to go to the NFL from just like a personality perspective. I was just, okay, cool. They also had that uh, Eric Gregory, who ended up going. I think he's at Arkansas now as a defensive lineman. He's a pretty good football player. They had a couple of good linebackers. Michael Jones, who was a star at Syracuse, was down there at that time. That was a silly team, man. Silly, silly team. I man, some of those teams are just the the Shade Patterson year of IMG Academy was a dumb roster too. I know it's every single year, but like I'm like thinking back to some of the best IMG teams. I'm just like that team could have won a national championship if they would have just taken that team and developed it into college. So the only thing they ever struggle with is chemistry because it's definitely not talent. They're the most talent in the country every year. It's not in question. It's just can they gel? And they haven't always been good at quarterback. It's been iffy at times. So. When they figure out quarterback, they're not getting beat. Well, I think that that was the tough part of that year was I think they had the 
I think that year with Nolan, they had the Baldwin kid who was the lefty quarterback, and then they had the other kid that went to UAB, I think, that year. I can't, I can't remember his That's name. That's not going to They were great. Yeah, they weren't great at quarterback that year. That was that was definitely the weak point of that roster. But that roster otherwise was it's pretty good. It's a pretty good roster. Uh, right, we got a question from Bailey Brad, who said, "Any reason Notre Dame never really gotten foot in the door in the David Sanders recruitments?" Bailey, I think it's just a little too early to say that. I think that for me, it's this. I just think they got the foot in the door a little bit because I think David Sanders actually has some really positive things to say about Notre Dame. And he was one of those ones, Brian, that he didn't have an early offer from Notre Dame. And he was the one that was like saying, I want an offer from Notre Dame. I want an offer. So I think they had their foot in the door. Just my opinion. When you have an offensive lineman that is a little bit down South, again, he's in North Carolina. So it's not like he's in the deep South, but a kid like that, who's a five-star potential number one overall player getting recruited by everyone. I think it's just a tough pull when he's not a Midwest kid to come to Notre Dame. Like that's just kind of where my hesitation is, but I wouldn't say they don't have the foot in the door. It's just can't knock the door down. Like, I think that's the question mark for me. Um, back to that point a minute ago, if Notre Dame beats USC, Ohio state, they, they have to do something different to get those kind of kids. That's it. Like, uh, just to use an example, were they really going to get Jerome Bettis out of Detroit McKenzie if they hadn't beaten Michigan like three years in a row or something? Probably not. Right. Right. That's probably it's just true. You, you have to prove it on the field to get go in and take somebody's star player out of their backyard. You got to earn it. Yes. 100%. I think that's really well said.